Beware, spoilers lie ahead. And now... Tonight's podcast is brought to you by Retro Rocket Entertainment. If you want podcasts that are out of this world, we've got podcasts that are indeed out of this world. And Jemetsko. Don't know what the word means, but it's high-quality pop art. Visit Jemetsko.com. G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O.com. Diane, 2.15 p.m. I've just checked into the Great Northern Hotel in Twin Peaks. I've got to find out what kind of incredible trees they've got up here. I'll be meeting the sheriff at the morgue to examine the girl's body. There's a good chance the person who committed these crimes is... Twin Peaks. A nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to die there. Sunday. Twin Peaks is a show from 1990, developed by Mark Frost and David Lynch, that saw FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper investigate the death of local homecoming queen Laura Palmer from the town of Twin Peaks. The series featured a bevy of quirky characters, Sheriff Truman, Pete Martell, deputies Andy and Hawk, and the log lady, to name a few, both endearing and sometimes off-putting, with stories that ran congruent or tangential with the overall mystery. Who killed Laura Palmer? This mystery was quickly wrapped up at the behest of a meddlesome studio. Laura's own father, though possessed by the embodiment of the evil that men do, named Bob, murdered her, but had little to no memory of doing so, and had gone, inexplicably, from black hair to white in the aftermath of his daughter's death. And soon, he too would die, in throes of remorse and anguish of what he had done, nay, what Bob had done through him. Yes, there are demons in this story. And so another mystery needed to be introduced. Wyndham Earl, an imposing and strange, if not shoehorned, character, was introduced as the main nemesis of season two. Earl and Cooper were once partners, whose partnership took a turn for the worst, which saw Earl murder his own wife, and shoot Dale, and go on the lam, in search of an entry point into the fabled Black Lodge. This lodge is where darkness and evil and horrors reside, with strange demons that feed on pain and sorrow. The second season's mystery plot was a traditional cat-and-mouse chess game between Dale Cooper and Wyndham Earl. And the congruent, tangential stories often had little to do with said mystery. And by the end of Season 2, we are left with a cliffhanger of Dale Cooper trapped in the Black Lodge while Bob possesses his body in the real world. The follow-up to the series is the film Firewalk With Me that served as both a prequel and a minor sequel to the series, though never getting close to wrapping things up for the audience that so desperately wanted a clean ending that Season 2 refused. The film explored Laura Palmer's last week alive and what interactions she had before her demise. This film featured more FBI agents that were also featured in the series, but some new as well, whose moments seemed to confound audiences more by adding more questions than answers. Who is Philip Jeffries? Who is Judy? What happened to the FBI Special Agent Chester Desmond during his investigation of the death of Teresa Banks? More Black Lodge moments are explored, and still we have more questions. Questions that, in true Lynch fashion, would be answered if only slightly 25 years later in the third series, Twin Peaks, The Return. And so that leads us to Season 3. I'm Andrew. Everybody should know me from Video Night, and maybe What Did We Just Watch?, and got me a movie, and Vincent Price's laugh. And here with me is also from What Did We Just Watch, John. 
Bjorling. How's it going, everybody? And also, we have LB from Vincent Price's Laugh and Got Me a Movie, and she's also a Fancy Pants writer over at Cinepunks. Hi. Hello. Hey there. <laughs> All right. Jim Carrey, right? What? Truman Show. Oh. Now, season three came and went, right? It did indeed happen. Yeah. First, though, I want to know this, and maybe somebody can throw the question back at me after you guys answer, but LB, first, mm-hmm. when you first experienced... Twin Peaks, why, when, how, and what? Well, okay, I was a child in... What year was it? 87? 89. 89. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, so... The I'll... very first episode <laughs> came out in... It was a pilot episode and it came out in 89. But the show was 1990. Okay. Okay. Well, when did Twin Peaks reach peak pop culture? I was a child then. I was nine years old. And, of course, Twin Peaks is not for a nine-year-old. But my parents did not care about me staying up late and watching Saturday Night Live. Oh. So my first Twin Peaks experience is watching the skit where Kyle MacLachlan hosted Saturday Night Live and they made fun of Twin Peaks. Hmm. Diane slept great last night. I've got to find out what kind of sheets these are. Not cotton, not rayon. Silky. Damn fine sheets. I'm gonna get naked and slide around in them. That was it. But what about the show itself? Um, I think maybe... I really don't even think I saw any of it at all until you showed it to me. Uh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And that was about, like, 2006, 2007. I mean, I had it. No, you actually bought me the gold box. So I mm-hmm. had... That was after we watched it, though. Yeah, because I, I had... I'm pretty sure. I had the first two seasons, but they were done in that weird artisan release. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize that the first season of the artisan release had commentaries, and it's the only disc set that has commentaries on it at all from various directors. I didn't even realize that, and we got rid of it once we got the gold box. All right, so, John, the question's back to you. Same question. When did you first experience it, hear about it, etc.? I'd heard about it from when it aired and, and all that stuff. You know, I'd hear the name and knew it existed. But you were the one who showed it to me. You lent me the... I want to say it wasn't the DVD of the pilot. I think it was actually a tape of no, the No, it was a DVD. That yeah, had. that was that super hard was, to find DVD? Okay. pilot episode that also, I think, had the French ending somewhere. Yeah, I, <laughs> I want to say it ended with them revealing who killed... Yeah, that's the French the, version. Who it was, killed her. It's not even a bootleg. Yeah. It was a weird release from some other company, like a Canadian company or something. Yeah, I seem to remember knowing who killed Laura Palmer, and then you let me borrow the uh, first season, I watched it, and kind of going, this is brilliant, because we know who killed her. No one else does, and, you know, this this is so interesting, because, you know, we're watching them uncover this right. mystery. What's interesting about that box set is that it doesn't come with the pilot, <laughs> that first box set, which was very strange, so I had to buy them separately. And it's like, years later, I got the gold box and actually finished watching it, since I had only seen the first season. So I finally got a chance to see the rest of it. And then years later, I went back and was watching it with a roommate and discovered that we don't know. The pilot doesn't end with us finding out who killed <laughs> Right, because that's the... And I was kind of surprised. That's the American version <laughs> on the gold box, right? That's the... state. See, what happened is he has a great relationship with France. All of France, the entirety of France. <laughs> he has a great relationship over there with them. And French 
whoever the company was, they released it theatrically, and there's like, let's let's make a movie out of this. So it's kind of what happened to Mulholland Drive. A French company came up and fixed financially the problem with Mulholland Drive, and so they gave him a bunch more money for him to make a movie out of it as opposed to a pilot. And that's sort of the same thing that happened with the French release of Twin Peaks. It's just a standalone movie with an ending. But that's the first thing that you saw, so that you're you're lucky. So did you ever watch Firewalk with me? I did see Firewalk with me, and it's been a few years. Like the last time I saw it was long before this uh, the return. Okay. So I had. So you hadn't uh, primed yourself with Firewalk with me? Because I remember not liking it. So. <laughs> Typical. So I just kind of went. You know what? I will rewatch the series prior to the return. So I felt comfortable going into this okay. one. Now, LB, uh, what mm-hmm. about you? Firewalk with me. What do you think? I love Firewalk with me. Did you love it the first time you watched it, though? Yes. You did? I did. I thought I it... defy you. <laughs> what? Why? I had this conversation on Facebook, and I was jokingly coming off like a know-it-all. I'm not a know-it-all, but... Oh, really? Yeah, but I think everybody's first impression of any David Lynch movie, except maybe, I don't know, Straight Story, I don't know about that because I haven't seen it yet, is that they don't know what to make of it, and if they say they like it, they actually don't necessarily like it yet. They have <laughs> to watch it more. So that's why I'm like, I defy you oh that you actually liked it because you didn't know if you liked it so that's why you watch it 30 more times and then you realize it's awesome no I john because li- <laughs> you only watch it once man of all lynch's films i like lost highway oh yeah lb's lb's with lost highway too that, that's really <laughs> about it <laughs> lb uh you just wrote an article about lost highway i did i did write an article about how Lost Highway is really messed up and how I love it a lot and why it's scary. And that actually leads into a little bit Firewalk with Me, uh-huh. which seems to be the girl-heavy version of Lost Highway. Not that it's femme-heavy or lopsided in some sort of idealistic way. It's just the main character is a girl as opposed to the main character in Lost Highway is a boy. But they have the same kind of manic insanity to them. And John, you don't really know until you watch The Missing Pieces, edited back in, how great Firewalk With Me can be. Yeah, I do remember getting my hands on a digital copy of The Missing Pieces, but I never, ended up just never getting around to actually watching it, so it just kind of fell off to the wayside. Yeah, the scenes are longer, the humor is a bit more in line with at least the first season of Twin Peaks, and it allows the movie to actually have some breathing room to live a little bit more until it comes to this weird crashing end. It's not as quick to be bizarre, even though everything in the movie is still bizarre. You still get more time with Chet Desmond and uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character, I forget his name, the FBI agents on the case of Teresa Banks. That's mentioned in the intro. The style of creepiness directly informs the return. Mm-hmm. said David Lynch. So I think you almost needed to prime yourself with Firewalk With Me just so that you'd be even more willing to accept <laughs> how weird he gets with the return. Well, the, the reason why most people don't like Firewalk With Me is because it doesn't have the idiosyncrasies of the town of Twin Peaks, I think. You know, like the just the little little bits of quirkiness here and there that give it, I guess, life, you know? It's more focused on the darker energies of the town, if I can say that without sounding like a, a new wave person. New age. New, new age person. <laughs> you are definitely a new wave person. <laughs> Which I think is... M- 
David Lynch is really complicated because he has this idea of what his his ideal Americana cutesy stuff like you know just traditional American stuff that he just he normally subverts or turns on its edge but also he has this like really dark weird side so you're right I think Firewalk with me is a lot like Lost Highway in that it is focused on this darker stuff and yes going into the return I think Firewalk with me is a better primer because it definitely tonally has a lot of the same stuff going on even in the return there are callbacks like yeah the Philip Jeffries appearances and stuff things start to make sense you know like people hated Firewalk with me because a lot of it just did not make sense to them and the return does a really amazing job at pulling those things out of this previous movie and starting to clarify or you know things start coming together and it's really an amazing story by steven spielberg <laughs> no no so john going into uh season three when it first started i'm talking like the first three episodes or so were you going fine with it or were you what was your first impression First impression was okay. Like, I'm wondering where some of these threads were going, because it just kind of seemed very random in some cases. You know, you get uh, up to clear empty box, people are videotaping it, and then this guy gets laid, and then a demon comes out of the box and eats their face. And then I'm wondering, okay, what, what does this have to... Okay, Cooper shows up in the box after escaping, okay. I'm sitting there just kind of going, alright, where are we going with this? Why are we sticking around Dougie? Well, that's a little more later on, of course, but... Uh, I was interested, but I was kind of like, for a thing called Twin Peaks, we're really not spending much time in Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's that's a subversion of your expectations. And we're spending a lot of time with a lot of characters that I don't know yet. And you're not giving me reasons to care about them yet. Whereas we've spent, you know, 25 years wondering what has happened with all these people. You know, where are they in their lives? Right. Why has no one really seemed to care what happened to Dale Cooper? Except as it unfolds, they do care and they have had their ear to the ground, so to speak. What I like about the beginning of the season was how it started with nobody. Like you said, nobody's in Twin Peaks. I mean, it had Dale Cooper in the Black Lodge or the Red Room, Waiting Room, whatever it is. Yeah. And then the decapitated body, Major Briggs, and the head of the woman, who was amateur paranormal investigating, unfolds later and Matthew Lillard's involved. And we have no idea who any of these people are. And then we have Max Perlich show up, who is a bit actor in Hollywood in a lot of movies. He does tons of movies, but he's always got like these really small parts. He's a little short guy. And I'm thinking... Hey, I know that guy. He's probably going to be of consequence. Except he's not. And that's its only scene. And he just needs to give the cops keys. And then he gets spooked and runs away or whatever. And, okay, what more? Scott Coffey is another actor like that. And he shows up. He's actually a friend of Naomi Watts. They did a movie together in the late 90s, I do believe. I think Coffey directed it. And he was in an Amazing Stories episode. Uh, you said Amazing Stories. I said Spielberg. Well, this guy was in it. And he's one of the guys at the Roadhouse who just comes up and sits at the table and talks. And that's his only appearance show is full of those are they of any consequence to you either of you no not at all there's a lot of stuff in this that i just look at and just see it as padding you think it's padding 
Yeah. So, LB, what do you think about those scenes that I'm... The specific scenes that I'm talking about. Not the one where it's introducing Richard Horn. That is of consequence. Mm-hmm. The other stuff, two girls talking, Sky Ferreira and the other girl. And... No, I, I appreciate those scenes for what they are because, you know, I, I said that one of the things that I would really love to see is a spinoff of Twin Peaks that's just about Twin Peaks and the the time between when Cooper was there and in the present time. I would love to see that, to see what has actually happened to the town. <laughs> There's a lot of history. I, I don't know if you guys read the secret history of Twin Peaks, both the... Uh, you know I read it. Yeah. I know you did. <laughs> but there's a lot of history that goes on during that time. And what I find really interesting is stuff like when Ben Horn sold the, the land at Ghostwood to the private prison people. And like how that in particular had an effect on the town itself and the economy and in and crime and everything there. And the building of the prison. Yeah. Because I feel like there's a lot of negative impact, I think, that happened like in the economics of the town from that of people losing their jobs because the the logging mill closed and how the the evolution of of drug sales in this town you know went from cocaine to probably like crack and opioids um, you know opioids and designer drugs and stuff like that and you can tell that like i mean i'm not trying to rag on these girls who were at the roadhouse but they look like meth heads right yeah, so, well, the Sky Ferreira scene was particularly off-putting in her appearance. Yeah, so. so I am really, really interested in these people and just these flashes, these four and five minute scenes of them just talking for a second at the Roadhouse before the band plays. That was really interesting to me and I do want to see more of it. So, I mean, there's that, but as far as the story itself of of cooper and of audrey and of you know the the people that we know and that we care about yeah absolutely there's no consequence to it so but the overall picture i'm really all for it okay so so if i may you're saying no consequence to the overarching story and i'm gonna say except for you know the introduction of richard and the stuff that has to do with just even barely has to do with james hurley yeah i would disagree because richard does not do anything in this story look at his arc it's i'm a bad person i'm a horrible person i'm a terrible terrible person i'm threatening and killing and doing all these things and then i die sure he serves a purpose though he serves a purpose for no yeah he serves a purpose for booper as i call bad dale cooper booper he serves a purpose for him and it also shows just exactly how evil booper is and that that's his son and he doesn't give a crap if he just electrocutes into nothingness yeah he serves a purpose no he doesn't he doesn't even have an arc we know booper is a we know booper is a is a horrible person. We've seen him do horrible things prior to it. We just now have additional scenes of this really, really unlikable, horrible character. And then even at the end, when he's disintegrated, I felt nothing. Not even that, oh, good, evil is punished sort of thing. It just kind of, ah, oh, all right. Hmm. They killed him. Wow. By the way, I refuse to say booper. You just said it. Ha <laughs> <laughs> First and only. You can let the boys have their fun. Booper, booper, booper. You know, there needs to be, like, a really bad character. And, yeah, I mean, he might be a static character. There might not be too much depth going on with him. There's no arc. There is no arc. You're right. There There there, isn't. Yeah, there's no arc. But but as far as purpose, I mean, it has to do with the other characters. Like you were saying, like, this is to show more about 
the evil Dale Cooper, or even when Harry Dean sees uh, the the child who gets run over by Richard. You know, th- that's a really touching moment. So, you know, we see more about Harry Dean's character. So it's like Richard doesn't really have a purpose for himself that he does for others. Yeah, okay, yeah. In the wake of Richard's chaos, how he yeah. affects other people is more important than his plight or story or whatever because he really doesn't have as john you're right he doesn't really have one he's a monster right that just keeps going until he stops or is stopped right but to go back i did wait wait to go back to the twin peaks townsville of no consequence the only consequence that they are is actually show at least in this little microcosm of the roadhouse who the townspeople now are Mm -hmm. and if the story was to branch out even farther these are the characters that we would probably follow and that's the thing is, LB has a much better Twin Peaks Season 3, where we're invested in the town. We we were already invested in the town and these characters, and finding out where they are and this thing, the, all the drugs, you know, the, the closure of, of the sawmill and everything, that's a, that is an interesting story. And then you have all these characters that exist in this thing, and now their storylines matter, because they actually have some sort of consequence on the town that we care about, and we're actually... Mm-hmm being given time to be invested in. Whereas Twin Peaks The Return, really the story is FBI trying to figure out what happened to Cooper. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's the story of season three. But we're given all this extended time with characters that don't have any consequence to the overall story. They just kind of are filling time. It's sad because I want to spend more time with the characters I like. Like, there's a amazingly touching scene that Bobby Shelley Becky diner scene yeah mm-hmm. that's an amazing scene I think Becky's story is pointless but I love that sequence because that shows a this kind of broken family and I want to know more about that not what is Becky actually doing right now because in the sense I'm spending a few minutes here and there per episode watching characters I don't care about yet well Becky giving me the time Becky's character if anything, her character, one, is kind of a pale version of Laura, sort of, not really. But in that she's a beautiful young woman from this town, she probably had a lot going for her, except she couldn't get out from under the bad thing, which here it happens to be her husband who is awful. But <laughs> that story is actually purposeful, if only for that scene at the diner with Bobby and Shelley. Yeah. I think... He knew that he had another monster on his hands to get rid of him by the time the end of the show happens. Because I don't know if anybody really wants to spend time with her husband anymore. So kill him off by the end of the show. By his own hand. Yeah, even. but again, it's another character who kill, who dies, but it doesn't impact in a meaningful way because we don't know this character. All we well, know is this character. it simply ties it up so that he doesn't have to revisit if there's another But then season. why do it? <laughs> it's there, like, why, why bother doing it if it's... If there's no point. Just so that people don't go, well, whatever happened to this a-hole character from the last season? He's not in this season. Oh, <laughs> like, so, or it, even, oh he, we well, killed him well, off. I mean, well, I mean, I'm talking even having the entire character arc. Oh, the it reason simply, why is you have... It could simply... Well, no, you could simply cut that character out. It wouldn't have as much just, impact, You could deal I with think. just Becky. Uh, yeah, but Becky needs to have that... Um, you need to see her almost get beaten. 
You need to see her making bad decisions in order for that meaningful moment to happen between she and her parents. Only to be truncated by the weird love interest of the magician drug dealer with Shelley. It'd be so much better if we spent more time with these characters and their stories because well it's actually i will say it's the thing that i loved the most in this thing was an actual resolution to an actual storyline from the previous show is it big ed norma yeah that made me feel so good because there was finally a resolution for it it felt right it felt right with the characters and i'm like thank you i needed to know how this was going to end yeah, LB, what do you think about the Big Ed Norma thread? Well, I don't really have too much profound to say about that. I mean, it's obviously very nice and satisfying, and it's great that they got together. I mean, they obviously have had the world against them, it seems, for forever. And then finally, they get together, and I, I mean, there's really nothing else you can say other than it's just so full of joy and it's it's tear inducing really like it's just like tears of joy for norma and ed right it was as far as moments of satisfaction is probably the most satisfying moment in the show especially since we watched them for those two seasons Mm -hmm. and then the movie doesn't even touch on them and then they're back and they're still waxing and waning coming towards each other and then not being able to come towards each other yeah and then finally that hand from off camera touching his shoulder right what i was gonna say earlier is i completely understand and agree that it's frustrating and sometimes to to have to watch these characters that maybe you don't necessarily care about or like you don't really know them that well to care about them and it's frustrating because there's a lot of guesswork like lynch is forcing you to guess what these people's roles are or what these stories will end up being and how it fits together so it's kind of like oh you know maybe you get mad at david because maybe he's playing a trick on you or something everybody always thinks that david lynch is playing a trick on them i think so many fans it's not even i think so many fans (laughs) think that david lynch is just super great and he does all i'm the guy that constantly pushes yeah but he's pulling a fast one on us that's what i said to the two affluent couples when they saw Mulholland Drive and the credits roll. Mm -hmm. I laughed out loud. They all (laughs) turned and scowled at me and I said, it's a joke. It's a big joke. They were like, what? (laughs) I said, it's it's, it's, it's David Lynch having fun with the audience. That was my initial response to Mulholland Drive upon repeat viewings. Mm -hmm. It's not only a joke, but I do think he has a subversive sense of humor just within the entire body of work, even if it's not a funny body. It's in itself his sense of humor of like, you expect this, but you're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. And that's the joke, I think. And I think you just have to kind of go with it. Well, that's those things like I wouldn't have been as upset if it also didn't involve characters that I liked that in the end don't pay off in any meaningful way like Audrey Horn she shows up she's <laughs> arguing with a man I know because of the final dossier that it's apparently her husband but you know and I uh, learn what the backstory is to, but she's in this limbo existence of arguing with this guy mm-hmm. for quite a few number of episodes I was sitting there going why are we following this I almost hoped that they never went anywhere with it <laughs> just so that at the final episode it's okay we're gonna leave now because then at least that would have ended up feeling more comedic to me than her actually finally going to the roadhouse and then we get the call back to her dance but then it's like what she's in the white room crazy? she's in some she's... white room yeah all of a sudden it's like wait what <laughs> was did anything happen so why, the three why am her appearance why are they 
Her appearances. Why was money spent on this? Up to that reveal after the dance, we were all because it was weekly, right? Mm-hmm. We were each week saying, "I think she's in an asylum mm-hmm. somewhere." I think that this guy that's sitting across from her, this might be just like a dream sequence or a fantasy sequence that she's having, or he might be her therapist. It's like a doctor yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. But it's her husband, and it still might be a fantasy sequence of her mm-hmm. and her husband that she's having, her mm-hmm. husband of convenience even. But the resolution of that storyline so far, <laughs> it still left us wanting. We still want to know what the white room I kind is of, the like, mirror. It seems so absurd that I kind of don't care what the resolution is. Well, I, I mean, not don't care as in like, oh, I don't, you know, dismissing it or whatever, but like, like it could be anything and I would be happy. Those scenes are so strange because it seems like that they are separate from the rest of the show in form, I guess. It seems like we're watching a stage play as, as they're talking to each other. Like it, It's completely different tone and it's it's weird. Yeah, it, it, the problem is, and I understand it with Lynch, that weirdness is <laughs> de rigueur. You know, that we're going to get weird. But it felt like a lot of this was mm. just weirdness for weirdness' sake, and not to actually have some sort of value. It's just, oh look, I'm going to put a girl uh, next to this crazy, shouty woman, and she's going to puke, and no one's ever really going to address it. All right, all right, this and is this is good because hey, 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 you just brought up something that I want to talk about: the theme of sickness in the Return, or in David Lynch's work in general. Yeah. He has a theme of sickness now. YouTube has, I forget the guy's name, but you can look it up on YouTube. There's a bunch of essays, and we watched one. And the guy touches on a bunch of themes about the Return, about nostalgia and about sickness really and about how really and I agree with this Twin Peaks is an infected town it's like almost like an epicenter of infection where Bob actually just likes to hang out in Twin Peaks and cause a bunch of bad things and apparently Mike who cut off his arm was one of those bad things that went uh, good or went neutral anyway positive neutral I suppose he doesn't help positive neutral I'd go yeah, with he, he yeah. doesn't help too much but he hints <laughs> hints towards that direction and, and of course Arm, which is a bit more mischievous, and I think it's hilarious that Arm is now the really sad <laughs> Christmas tree that Charlie Brown <laughs> brings, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. That's with electricity. Yeah, with electricity and a, and a heart or a meatball sphincter. <laughs> I think that's really funny because in the, behind the scenes, Michael J. Anderson has become a bit unhinged, accusing David Lynch of murdering Jack Nance. He's the, the, the actor who played the arm before. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the okay. arm is the dream man, the little dancing little yeah. guy that Mike Myers from Saturday Night Live did a bad impression of. <laughs> that guy... Uh, sadly, as interesting and fun to see him in different projects, he was even in Carnival on HBO. It's cool seeing him until he became somewhat unhinged, a bit alt-right, if you know what I mean, yep. a bit accusatory towards David Lynch. So being a problematic as a person as he is, also wanting too much money for his tiny role, David decided to make him a little twiggy tree. <laughs> Kind of special effects wise, you want to talk about that now? Special effects? You mean the uh, really bad Adobe After Effects? 
Yeah, I think David Lynch um, just discovered After Effects and computers, really. So, <laughs> Well, had they not stretched this thing out to 18 episodes, I think the effects might have been a little bit better. I don't know. They had... A little bit, because they could have hired some well, They did. They hired, the, like, the best. They hired amazing guys, especially episode 8. All of that explosion is CG. It's built in a computer, and it's beautiful, and it's great. All the clouds, everything, that 2001 sort of throwback, that is all special effects. Well, that became a screensaver yeah. for a while. Yeah. For much longer than it needed to be. Yeah, that was, a, that was an exercise. There's a couple of exercises in here. I'm going to come back to special effects, but there's a couple of exercises in here that force the audience into something. Now, we know that David Lynch is an artist also, apart from filmmaker. He was a painter first. Mm-hmm. Now, he was an abstract sort of artist, artist, painter. They get their stuff shown in museums and stuff. He's that kind. Not like pop art like me. So... He has years of history, like with Francis Bacon. He loves Francis Bacon. Mm -hmm. And as far as a filmmaker goes, he loves Kubrick, actually. Or at least loves some of Kubrick's work. And some of that, one of that is... 2001 so this is a direct reference i believe to 2001 yeah i think so which would explain why you don't like that episode or at least that half you don't of like, the episode what, you don't like 2001 no i have many issues <laughs> with that film. there's there's stuff in it that i like but overall i think it's over i can agree with that i think okay not really into it but. That's interesting, because if you had said that you liked 2001, but don't like this scene, <laughs> it would be probably, I would accept, I don't like this scene because it's too much of a reference to 2001. I would accept that, but like to just dismiss it because of a reference, I would be like, but you like 2001! <laughs> you you would have got yelled you're at. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think, as far as the exercise goes, let's go to the sweeping scene. Sweeping. Yeah. So the sweeping, the sweeping scene. Sweeping scene. <laughs> my understanding of the sweeping scene and I read this also in an article, is that it's uh, an exercise in meditation. Now, not just meditation, but in narrative meditation. So first off, it's just this mundane thing that all of us have done. We've all swept a floor sometimes. So we know what it's like. And we're like, what is this? This is annoying. Our initial thing is like, why are we hanging on this for more than 30 seconds? And then we notice he missed a spot. So there's part of the narrative is that he missed a spot. And then you're like, well, is he going to go back and get that spot? So you start noticing all these things and it becomes meditative about him and that little storyline of is he or isn't he going to sweep that place appropriately and then it's cut off rudely by a telephone call we're invested in this man sweeping and then bring ah we're jolted out of it and for a moment we want to go back to the sweeping Mm -hmm. and it's against logic really like we don't why why should we really sit and watch because it's meditative and that's i think you're reading too much into david lynch falling asleep at the avid (laughs) (laughs) no david lynch is about transcendental meditation that's his other thing he's an artist and he hawks transcendental meditation so he's really big into trying to get you to meditate. Mm-hmm. And he's done that in this particular series more than anything I've ever seen him do. Nah, I like my theory better. <laughs> it would explain so much as to why there never seemed to be an actual editor in this show. There's so much that could have been cut down. Now, I agree I... that it could be edited a bit more succinctly. I am actually waiting for fan edits to pop up of certain episodes uh-huh. or something. to. In all honesty, I have a feeling that if you cut out everything that is extraneous... Like probably get well let's see like wally for instance i was gonna say like wally brando (laughs) yeah a lot of the subplots they go nowhere wait wally brando talk about him no (laughs) no because (laughs) 
because David Lynch hates us and wanted to torture us. When I was rewatching this, mm -hmm. I was tempted to time how long that monologue was, mm -hmm. but I started to and got pissed off <laughs> and stopped and just fast forwarded it. I had to listen to it once. That was one time too many. Well, Elby, do you have anything to say about Wally Brando? Um, well, I have a few things to say about Wally Brando. The first one is uh, some weird theory about how he is actually Waldo the Bird or something that doesn't make sense to me but there's that the, the other things okay that, that is so cringe worthy that scene is so bad but so many people love it for some reason i guess they just think it's hilarious or they think michael Sarah is indie hot well, or indie cool uh, or indie whatever yeah maybe eight years ago but like um <laughs> i could not stand that scene the first time we watched it i could not stand it at all like what was even weirder about it is andy and lucy's reactions like their faces are just so freaking weird in that mm -hmm. but the second time we watched it for some reason, it wasn't so bad to me. Yeah, it like, really I, it, wasn't. I didn't as hate it. it. It really wasn't. I mean, it's. I still don't like it. Right. I still don't like think it's cool. But what you said, and I'm probably going to take your words mm -hmm. out of your mouth here, Andrew, is it? Well, you know what? I'll lead you into this. Okay. How about that? Okay. It serves the purpose of showing us how much Sheriff Truman, Robert Forrester, can handle and tolerate. Yeah. With other human beings. Which, it actually, later on, more characters come in and frustrate the hell out of him. And the man has such resolve. And this is our first glimpse into the resolve that Sheriff Truman has. Sheriff Truman has to deal with Deputy Andy to begin with. And we know how insufferable Andy can right. be. I think, I think we can infer that he has infinite patience <laughs> without having to deal with Wally. Well, I don't know. You know, I think Andy <laughs> is only like that if Lucy's around. He's not entirely correct, though, well, because his first season, when they find Laura Palmer, he breaks down crying, and he's reprimanded by the original Sheriff Truman, saying, Well, Andy, I don't... I, I... Not again, you know? <laughs> okay, okay, fine, but that just shows that he has emotion. Like, he's not like an idiot bumbling fool until Lucy's around. That's your theory, and I think it's a sound theory, but I think he's also kind of a simpleton as, as well. Well, maybe. I just... One of the things I really, really wanted out of Twin Peaks The Return was I wanted Deputy Andy to become, like, this really badass cop. Like, <laughs> I wanted... I wanted that so bad. And, like, when they release some of the promotional stills, like, beforehand, there's, there's one... And it, it, it's a still of when... Andy is supposed to meet up with Billy on the road and like so it's just Andy like standing by the side of the road and there's you know trees around him and stuff and he's got this expression of like I'm a cool badass mm -hmm. so I was so so hoping but well that um, scene no he doesn't you're right if if your theory we, stands he's not around Lucy that scene he's just doing his cop work that's well we do get him being kind of a badass at right. the end right where when they find the woman in the forest uh -huh. and he's completely competent and, you know, it's like, oh, okay. You know, he, he goes and meets with the, the people in the other world, and then all of a sudden he's now kind of calm and yeah. competent. Right, his, right. He has what this he clarity. Or, and, which that and, leads and... up, yeah, what we were saying is beside the road waiting for the guy leads into this other moment where he has that hero moment. It's just not like he's punching people or nothing or shooting people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and right. and there's also a sweet moment between him and Lucy that I really like where they're looking at the chairs <laughs> and kind of having uh -huh. that. Not, not so much a 
fight. Do you like that scene, though, that, really? Honestly, I do. It's the sort of stuff that I liked in the original show, is the sometimes I just go into the mundaneness of, of these people's lives, and I wish we had more of that, yeah. but around characters that I have an invested interest in, because, you know, if it was someone else, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been as enthused, but I liked the interplay between them. Yeah. That scene's very realistic with a marriage and how people who are you know have been in a relationship for quite some time how they operate towards each other um the uh strange like manipulation like because i think lucy really manipulated andy there but like she um ends up going with what he wanted right yeah yeah Yeah. i think it's because he showed that he was willing to compromise and go with what she wanted so she's like yeah. so satisfied with that that she goes ahead and yeah. switches. That she buckles, yeah, buckles to to what he wants, but it's because he is willing to compromise first. Yeah, but she seems like a sly about it, though her her expression, <laughs> right, right, right. Which is weird because when we started this run of it, she kind of came off as dumber than she, especially you know, like, with the cell bubble headed in the original especially one, especially with the cell. Phones. Yes, the cell phone thing. All of a sudden, I'm going, oh, God, they made her really stupid. Now, the deal is, I think earlier on, I don't know how they shot this. I still, I have the season now on Blu-ray, and I haven't watched the behind the scenes or anything yet. But at those earlier scenes where she comes off the most stupid, I don't think they were used to playing those characters yet. Again, Andy, too. Uh, but yeah. a- Andy so, oh, has so, some really oh. good ex- expressions, especially when Chad comes in. Chad, the bad cop, comes in and is being a jerk to everybody. And Andy's expressions to that are hilarious, and they work perfectly. It's just him darting his head around, being like, how dare you? But sometimes they just don't seem like they're in that rhythm yet. But later on in the season, they do get into the rhythm, and she doesn't come off nearly as dumb later on in the season. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that it might have been shot a little more sequentially than... That's what I think. I know it was written essentially as an 18-hour movie. Yeah. It was shot more or less that way. Right. So the useless characters that you were talking about, you're saying Wally Brando's useless. You're saying all of the... Bringing back Audrey Horn. There's no point in bringing her back because you're not doing anything with her. Even really, for the most part, the extended uh, Benjamin and Jerry stuff. Benjamin and Jerry don't really offer much other than one hilarious moment with Jerry and... uh, uh, are you talking and about maybe... his foot? I am not your foot. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about his foot. Which even, I was watching it with Heather, my girlfriend, and she wasn't into it. But when that happened, she couldn't stop laughing. We were just cracking up over it, had to stop watching it, and just enjoy the fact that it was just the most randomest. Uh-huh. <laughs> And hilarious thing ever. Now, uh, Jerry is witness to Booper and Richard and Richard's disintegration, but he thinks that he caused it with his stupid binoculars and looking through them the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, it's, but is he? It's, I sit there and go, is he really? Because a, he doesn't see anything, and b, he's stoned out of his mind. Right. So he's he's all like trying to interpret everything through a drug-addled brain. So my problem with that is is more of the special effects where David Lynch is just like. It's through the little hole and this is what it looks like and i'm like david just pick up some binoculars flip them around look through the wrong side you know that's not what it looks like 
It can't, it doesn't, there's no, no David. Because I know he's a tactile person that he uses his hands on all of his sculptures and everything. I know that he touches stuff, so just put them in his hand. But he has this mental image of, of things as well. And he wants to translate the mental image. And, and I, there's so much in this show that I don't think works visually like that. Like all of the After Effects things. Hey, I just got this new program. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is exactly like what I want. I need to make it look like a pachinko ball. You know, the essence of him yeah. is a pachinko ball. The like, like the the Sarah Palmer thing where she takes off her face. Oh, I have point. no problems with any of that weirdness. None whatsoever. I'm just sitting there going, wait. Well, I'm just going. It looks so bad. No, no, no. no, no. Like... It looks too off-putting and weird and like a collage in, in real time. But I have no problem with that. I have a problem with Diane. The Tulpa Diane. The false Diane. Oh, yeah. Wigging yeah. out. He's <laughs> like, I want it to look like, what is that, a GIF? An inter- it's on the internet. <laughs> I want it to make it look like a GIF. I need her to flitter and flutter around until she breaks and turns into a, a pachinko ball. <laughs> So, yeah. at his beck and call, he has these great graphic houses, at least a few of them, who can do animations and interesting stuff. And he goes for the stuff that looks the most false to me. As a person who works with illustration and stuff and visual things like that, I have opinions about things like this. And they're, they're professionally based, and they're based on experience, and they're based on actual knowledge of doing. So it's not armchair crap. It's not like I'm like, oh, I could do better. I could do, could do it. I just <laughs> no. don't want to. I could do better, but I don't want to. No, I, I... Well, if you're talking about something that you have a personal beef with like that, mm-hmm. if I can be pedantic for a moment, there's a moment where they're taking Dougie to the desert. They're driving on the Vegas Strip. Oh, okay. I've, I lived in Vegas for five years. I wanted to know about this. You remember Con Air? Con Air is drastically... Even if you've never been to Vegas, you can probably tell that Con Air just tried to cram in with editing every casino with a plane yeah. crash. So yep. that's drastic. That's really drastic. In this show, I've been to Vegas too. I didn't notice any incongruous stuff. But you've lived there for five years, you say. What are you talking about? Okay. I don't want to necessarily go on a shot-by-shot analysis. We got a shot where they're going south on Vegas Boulevard, because you can see the Bellagio and the Aria on the right-hand side, and Planet Hollywood in Paris on the left. Okay. Then there's a the reverse angle, confirms this. The next shot, now they're going north. You can see New York, New York, and the Aria on your left, MGM and Tropicana on the right. All right, maybe they got up, the guy turned around, going out, he's going to go down the other way towards, like, Fremont, and they're going to go, for some reason, out that way. All right. Now they're going back south, heading out of Vegas, and then they're miles back, going the same direction, but now they're miles back, and he's going, Treasure Island, Treasure Island. So, to us, the viewer, who are ignorant and unawares, it looks like they're just kind of going in a straight line with a couple of curves just to get out to Mm -hmm. the desert. Well, no, because if you actually look outside the window, you see them pass by the exact same casino on two different sides of the street. Yeah, but we're not paying attention to that. We're paying attention to the actors. Yeah. So, all of that is just movement in the background to us. Well, no, it's... give us the illusion that they're moving. Well, it's all the stuff that's outside the car. You're not even paying attention to any actors. It's literally the landmarks. No, what I'm saying is when I'm watching it, I'm not watching the landmarks. I'm watching the actors in the car. And if it's just a shot of them driving and the camera's outside looking at the car, it's not going to be on it for that long, which it wasn't. It was just that, like, Viva Las Vegas song. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand where you're coming from. There's this movie 
movie starring Tom Selleck and Jerry Reed and, <laughs> <laughs> and Barbara Mandrell is called Concrete Cowboys and it takes place in Nashville. And I lived in Nashville for, you know, a better part of a decade. And there are parts in this movie where they are literally miles apart. Like they are at the Grand Ole Opry and then they're like, okay, we're going to go down to the, the Parthenon. Parthenon. Yeah. And, and they're walking, okay? They're walking. <laughs> and it's um, it makes it seem as if they're on the same block, but they are like, you know, at least 10 or 15 miles apart. The thing is, it's other. the same kind so, of lighting in the scene. It's not like they got there at a different time of day. They got there at the same time of day. Yeah. It, I mean, it's like Grand Ole Opry cut to Parthenon. This is Nashville, the teleportation adventure. Yeah. That's- so I, I completely understand what you're talking about. Like, just like knowing locations and you're like, oh, really? Well, really? So- but for Concrete <laughs> but- Cowboys, that made it so much fun to watch. It's yeah. not even the fact that the geography is wrong. It's that it didn't need to be that long of a sequence where you have a shot down here, a shot here, a shot here. You're out in the desert. You don't need two oh, other two well- other shots on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> They, to, they were trying pad. to drag out that awful version of Viva Las Vegas. They had the contract for that song. They were like, no, we need more, you know, basically B-roll for this song that's terrible and bad. So this is exactly the kind of stuff that John would cut. And I am not yes. in disagreement yeah. with you. I, I, am... yeah, I, would, I would cut that too. But yes, I had to be pedantic for a moment. <laughs> So as far as the characters go, do you think Dr. Amp's story is good or not? His, his appearance? Amp. Dr. Jacoby? Jacoby? <laughs> Jacoby. Oh, no, I think that Dr. Amp is perfect. Like, the trajectory for that character is great. Dr. Jacoby has a really strange history of being an outsider, you know, be, being on the counterculture, let's say, and... I find it really interesting that he turns into this kind of conspiracy nut. However, like, he is not your stereotypical conspiracy nut. He is anti-government. Like, you know, hey, the government's really trying to screw you over. But he's not what we consider, you know, like an an Alex Jones or, you know, like those types of of people. He's not a giant a-hole. He's like still, he's like a purist. Yeah. Which is great. I love the stuff with him. I do think there was a bit much, but it also ties into the storyline that I like with it and Nadine yeah. and all that. Yes. I was curious, because one of the first things we see is him getting the shovels and spray painting them, and it's just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then when we get the payoff for that, Heather had fallen asleep, and I started laughing so loud that she woke up wondering what happened. <laughs> like, how they paint it off? It's so brilliantly hilarious. So that's a good payoff. This is your shiny gold shovel. Two coats, guaranteed. Dig yourself out of the shit. $29.99. That's right. Only $29.99. Plus shipping. Except no substitute. Uh, That's a really good throwback to commercials on TV where you get to write in your order to somebody yeah the blue screen yeah yellow text Mm -hmm. i like dr amp and i think he is literally an analog of mark frost (laughs) i believe that wholeheartedly at least this version of him as you say the trajectory of story goes this incarnation of him i follow mark frost on twitter and i see things that he posts and he is 
a politically minded and activist minded a I don't like that people leaning and for the people and of the people means that you're left leaning and you're definitely not right leaning but he is minded for the benefit of the people so when the government mm-hmm. does bad things like our current administration does constantly Mark Frost starts tweeting about things and they're very similar to not the tirades <laughs> but very similar to Dr. Amp so I'm like Dr. Amp is a cathartic character for Mark Frost, I think. <laughs> yeah, like I, I totally agree. I enjoyed it. When I sit there and talk about cutting things, it's like, yeah, maybe one or two tirades, but for the most part, it didn't make me go, oh my god, why am I watching this? <laughs> why can't I just fast-forward live TV? <laughs> you can't? You can't do that? No, it has to actually somewhat record. Yeah, I, I know you can't do that, John. So we've all tiptoed around all this stuff for a while. You have mm-hmm. Cooper in the lodge in the purple. Is that the Black Lodge, really? I think it is. You think the purple yeah. is Black Lodge? It's another yeah. thing I didn't quite like about the visuals. Not how the architecture was, that's fine. But the purple haziness of it also didn't seem true to me. So he's apparently in the Black Lodge. You have a cameo appearance by Ronette Pulaski or somebody who looks like her, but she's older. Uh, warning, go. My mother. Something about a mother is coming. Mm-hmm. And Cooper eventually gets out. There's also the appearance of the eyeless Asian woman who later is revealed as Diane, which is just bizarre. I don't quite know how. They call her Naito when she's in that form. But he gets mm-hmm. out through a giant plug in the wall and electricity. Mm-hmm. And he replaces the schlub of a dude who's slightly overweight, wears a lime green jacket. His name's Dougie. Yeah, and this is one of the main problems I have with this, is how long we spend with Dougie. And how no one except the hooker that he's with at this point, and one off comment from his wife. Do anyone really seem to think that he had a stroke? at some point because from the point that Cooper takes over Dougie he is acting like a child he is yeah. not acting like a person who is I would say as I guess his boss would say slow no he's acting like he had a severe brain issue yeah. and is now broken <laughs> Because and no one seems he's to a, notice or care. He's a superficial <laughs> facsimile. He's he's a version of Cooper, but he's not whole yet. So and that actually has to do with his mind, really. Mind and soul connection is actually kind of interesting here, and I didn't think about it until just now. Where does your soul reside? Where do you think from? Do you think mm-hmm. from your chest or from your guts? Or do you think from your head? I don't know. I'm not Dr. Amp. I don't have too many theories about this. (laughs) Okay, so why does Dougie exist in the first place? I I know he, the bad Cooper, still not saying it, (laughs) like made him of himself. Like he made him out of one of those uh, silver balls, right? So he's a weird version of the bad side of Cooper, right? Yeah. But why? I, I... I don't know if I quite caught why he would do that. Like, why does he need another version of himself? Well, you know, the plight of Booper is that he's got a time limit. And when that time limit happens, he doesn't want to go back inside Mm -hmm. at at all. He doesn't want to go back to the Black Lodge. He doesn't want to go to the waiting room. He just wants to stay out and run amok like he has been. Yeah. Running his empire. So there is a tulpa of him 
Dougie, who's just waiting in the wings for him to inhabit, should he have to go back inside. Now, okay. I'm not I'm not sure beyond any of that. John, do you have any insight? No, because the, the problem is that's never adequately explored in any way. I had a thought. Okay, there's that moment where there's the doppelganger who shows up in end of uh, the second season. And I thought that was Dougie. And then when we see the Bob Cooper, that is actually Bob taking over Cooper's body. Right. So we had a doppelganger. Mm-hmm i.e. Dougie, and then Booper. Oh, so why... That's, that's That was my thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why is the doppelganger, which is Dougie? Let's just go with that. Why is he even out there in the world? I don't know. That was the only thing I could come up with thinking back to the original series. Well, okay. Well, I guess maybe it's just for story writing purposes. Like, we have to have a way for Cooper to get out of the lodge. And so, like, he's just there for Cooper to inhabit. But why would the bad Cooper make him if that's his purpose? Well, remember, Dougie has people coming around trying to kill him a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. It's Dougie that they want to kill. They don't know that Cooper's inhabiting Dougie. Right. So maybe that was the plan all along. It wasn't actually to... Yeah, I think that's it. So it... If, I think it's a trap for Cooper. Right. If, if and Co- then the if, hitmen kill Cooper as Dougie. Right. So if Cooper's soul is inside Dougie's body and Dougie gets killed, Cooper gets killed. Yeah. Okay. Or Cooper is completely still trapped. The the other part of him is trapped inside of like his consciousness. Whatever. It's just he can't. He just won't be. So once he's killed, it's just he's gone. And I think we cracked it. <laughs> Dougie is a Cooper trap. <laughs> and then all of the hits start happening. You have the, the drive-by guys with rifles that are going to j- just totally shoot him. You have mm-hmm. the car that's been bombed. And then you have Spike, the little ice pick. and Like the Spike, yeah. Yeah, and the piece of his hand that gets... <laughs> <laughs> and Dale Cooper's uh, training comes in handy. So he's, he has muscle memory and all that. And he does some butt kicking. So yeah, 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 he is a trap. We got it. <laughs> it's it's nothing I've ever heard, actually. I've never read well, see, it. How long has it been since that episode aired that we're now coming to a thought as to what that actually meant? I've never talked about it. I've never seen it discussed. I think this is a brand new thing. I think we might have broken this. <laughs> I'm really happy about this. This is great. <laughs> This might actually go well, down in now history, is... and, I, oh my God. and I don't want to pat myself on the back, but like, if people actually hear this and go well, like... this is now an important podcast. Everyone who loves Twin Peaks needs to listen to this podcast. That's, that's what I'm saying. I'm actually like, I think we got it. He's a Cooper trap. Trapper Oops. Cooper. Wow. Something did actually happen of this podcast. <laughs> Other than talking around in circles. So, um... <laughs> Driving scenes. Do you think uh-huh. they're excessive? Oh god, there's too many headlights on a dark oh, road. No, shot. no, 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 not enough. Far too not many. Enough. But you like Lost Highway. But there's, you know, in an 18 hour thing, there's too many. No, <laughs> never. Highway, never enough. Highway shots. <laughs> okay, I, I do have which, a, a sort of. Some of which exist without any context at all. It's just highway driving have shots. You ever, followed by nothing. Have you ever driven <laughs> back roads at night with no lights? It's amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, Elvie. With no what? lights? Like, no, no lights no, on, I mean, on like, your no car? Street, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> no street lights. Yes, yeah, it's yes, amazing. It's creepy. It's like, also how you get killed by, you know, urban legends. <laughs> That's that's how you see the Yorona. But yeah, I I really enjoy those scenes. 
but I, I, well, I, I'm the kind of person who I really like creeping myself out. So anytime I see something like that, I'm like, yes. The driving scenes, I think they go on, I'll say needlessly long, but that they exist, it's good. I want them there. I just don't want them there for that long, especially in the final episode. That one was just, I was like, this is another one of those meditations of the mundane, and I understand it. I appreciated it with the sweeping scene, but now is not the time. (laughs) I have issues with the final episode, but we'll get into that later. Right. (laughs) 30 hours from now. Longer (laughs) than the season. John, you think that the episode 8 explosion is a screensaver that just goes on for far too long. The second half of that episode, I have issues with only and having listened to the audiobook version of the final dossier there is a explanation to mm-hmm. it somewhat mm-hmm. sort of but that second half where we have no credited girl and boy characters yes teenagers in love Yes, and then girl gets a frog swallows bug. a frog, frog bug. Yeah, the frog bug. You have exactly the same thing I wrote down in my notes. <laughs> the frog bug, which okay, is the frog bug Bob? Because we see the weird alien fetus thing earlier puke up Bob. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no, things. it wasn't fetus. That's mother. That is the thing at the very beginning of the show that ripped up those kids' faces. But it's basically, but you get this whole thing where it, it pukes up Bob. Yeah, bowling Bob. Yeah, we have the sphere that lands in the New Mexico desert. It cracks open. Frog bug pops out. Then we have the crazy drifter kill everybody in the radio studio, put everybody to sleep, and Frogbug enters this girl's mm-hmm. mouth. Yeah. Okay, I can buy that that's Bob. I can get that. Do you, do you think that Frogbug is Bob? That's what I was thinking. Well, I was questioning it, but that was my best guess was that was Bob on Earth, you know, a, a physical manifestation of this evil spirit that found its first mm-hmm. victim. Huh. And then and then I listened to the, dossier. the, uh, the final dossier and that is apparently Laura Palmer's mother, so I guess that was the seed for Laura Palmer? Yeah, that actually... I don't know! Frogbug... The pro... Frogbug might be... Okay, LB, what do you gotta say? Well, okay, so I think all this ties into um, Major Briggs' work, and... Okay. It's stuff that we can only speculate about, uh, obviously, but I think it's more alien in origin than, like, I, I don't think that it's too tied to Bob or to Mother, but I do think that's an interesting theory and I, I hadn't thought of that. Well, it says it's also in that same episode, you have Lurch create that golden sphere that has Laura Palmer's face and then shoots it to Earth, which also kind of, you know, throws in confusion as to what that is supposed to be because, okay, we it, it kind of has a golden mm-hmm. sheen to it, but then again, so did Bob mm-hmm. kind of? No, Bob was, was like, like a, a like a more charcoal. Well, no, but it was kind of like this dark mustardy yellow. I didn't see any yellow uh, with Bob. I don't remember. I call this. It's been a little while since I saw the episode, but I remember some sort of color to it. I think it was just when he, gray, when he was honestly. ejected. I want to know how they got Laura Palmer's senior portrait to use in her <laughs> in her inception, her homecoming yeah. photo. But it becomes this. Honestly, if episode 8 completely excised in entirety from the show, no one would notice. It does not. What? It doesn't do anything for the John, that episode broke TV. That episode revolutionized television as we know it. (laughs) Nope. It broke television. Before that show. It broke television because people tried to figure it out. It was. Yeah, well, that's that's the amazing thing about it. It was a visual and, and mental feast. Before that episode, I was cool with the show and I was a little bit annoyed like you were with Dougie in the casino going, Hello! Hello! You know? Yeah. 
and how long that takes. I don't want to get into that. It just takes too long. Mm-hmm. Episode 8 comes and just breaks all of TV. Breaks all of every way we watch TV. And, well, and it breaks wait, it like, wait, wait, wait. like a car breaks right before it hits no, a brick no. wall. No, no, no. And then you fly no, out no, and listen, hit listen. a brick wall. It breaks TV in the sense that I could not, and I'm still recovering from this. Sounds so dramatic. <laughs> I could not watch other TV shows and be invested in a dang thing. Yeah, we were watching Game of Thrones at the same time. Like everybody else, right? Game of Thrones, American Gods. We didn't even go back to American no, Gods like, after two it episodes. It was really just so uninteresting. And it's a beautifully shot show. Yeah, it's there's amazing. N- there's nothing, it's great there's to nothing look at, wrong like, with these shows, but like it's just how is it engaging yeah. you? It's not. It's not touching my brain the way it needs to touch my brain. All because of episode 8 of Twin Peaks The Return. Damn right. So that's how it broke TV for me. And I think LB agrees for her too. Mm-hmm. But John, you were just so much more resistant. No, it broke the series for me. At that point, I'm like, I will finish this, but I don't think I'm going to like it. Mm. Like, at that point, I kind of, I don't want to say I checked out, because, again, there's stuff in here that I still found engaging, and I kept watching. Everything from this point is eye roll if I'm pissed it, off. <laughs> it made everything into, like, like it, it made the picture so much bigger. Like, it, it made, I, I can't even describe, like, like... <laughs> How it it happened to me? Like, okay, yeah. I, mean, I want to say I remember the text I sent you. I know it wasn't a gift, but I swear it should have been. It was a scene from Monty Python where it's get on with it. No, no. Constantly that where I'm like, come on. No, you, it's just come so- on, Lurch. It was just way too much. There's so much like going going on in that episode that like reveals what this world is. Like, okay, so Twin Peaks is the major location of this, right? But like this episode brings us out of Twin Peaks and shows us how big this world that Lynch is building is the, this universe. And I swear you guys got more out of it than I did from <laughs> very obviously. Oh, no, really. Plus, no, no, LB's <laughs> LB's right about this, that it's so much larger, that the beginning, at least, of Bob, Mother's been there for a long time. We we don't know if there's anything other than Mother, as far as... Well, we do, actually. The Fireman. Uh-huh. Lurch, uh, as you call the them. The Giant. Carol Striken, he's the Giant, as known in the first and second season. But here, he's known as the Fireman. He and his wife, the little woman... Yeah. are like kind of maybe God doesn't matter but they are good and mother is the hideous beast that when the nuke goes off mm-hmm. I believe this is touched on in the secret history of Twin Peaks where it gets into Jack Propulsion Labs and Jack Parsons the, the bomb was also worked on by JPL which comes to actually back to play with some of that sex magic in the final episode what? <laughs> sex magic? <laughs> stop skipping ahead yeah. okay so, the bomb goes off, which is really the worst thing that humanity has to offer. It's absolute mm-hmm. destruction. It's the worst thing for our planet, and it's the worst thing for our people. So, out of that evil is born You bomb. think Mother feeds on that? Yeah. All that crap that's coming out of her is pain and suffering. It's garmambosia. Mm-hmm. It's creamed corn. And Bowling Bob, that's what I'm calling him. It's the Bowling Ball Bob. <laughs> Bowling Bob is born out of that. Bowling Bob is obviously not 
the seat that has Frog Bug in it. Because Bowling Bob comes back around at the end as Bowling Bob. And he fights Fist Freddy. Yeah. See, that whole episode really exploded, no pun intended, the show. And it made it way bigger than just the little town of Twin Peaks. But isn't Bob just in a general sense even creepier just to be an evil that exists in the world? It doesn't need necessarily an origin. Well, no monster needs an origin, but this isn't Leatherface or this isn't <laughs> this isn't well, Mike yes, Myers. It is. Yes, it is. This isn't Michael Myers, and this isn't Rob Zombie, so I'll take the origin. You're saying that we freed Bob from this sort of other personage of evil. And it's like, no, have Bob one of the many malignant forces that corrupts. He's a devil. Oh, but he is. He is. He just happens to be, for this story, probably the most powerful one, apart from Mother. This story is bigger than Bob. Like, Bob Bob isn't the focus anymore. It's about good and evil. Bob's just a part of it now like it's not bob's a major player he's a major player but he is not the evil right he is an evil he's a major evil but he's not the evil like there are far scarier things out there than bob and i think that's what he's trying to say the woodsmen all of the woodsmen uh those hobos who the heck are they this is the water and this is the well drink full and descend the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within but they, like, touch dudes' faces and crack them open crap, you know? These things apparently exist prior to Bob's being, you know... My problem is it doesn't... How to explain it? Again, I keep going back to an origin story for this character, and it's unnecessary. We don't need to know any of this, because... Yes, you can always say there's a worser evil out there, but... And? <laughs> there's always something worse. This well, is, that's Mother. Yeah. But and, is there something beyond Mother? But we <laughs> don't... Are we ever going to touch on this? Honestly, do not want another season of this. <laughs> Oh, I do. I don't want to know more about the evils of this. I was kind of content with the fact that there is evil in this world. And there is a direct, you know, Bob is one of these things, but there's a realm of these sorts of things that can inhabit us and make us do horrible things. And completely, if you want to go just like the God and Devil sort of things, these are the demons that reside in in a physical world. And that is scary enough. We don't need mother to make us go oh yeah there's always something worse see this thing puked up bob but now that we have them deal with it and how are you dealing with it are you kicking against it and saying i refuse it by pretending it doesn't exist because (laughs) (laughs) you are kicking against it and refusing (laughs) yes (laughs) see i can't refuse it because it's an actual thing i can't refuse the lame crap that's in season two it's part of twin peaks as much as i like ted raimi his stoner bro (laughs) metalhead bro in season two was stupid as all hell. The James Hurley romance storyline, which is so humorously pointed out in one of the books, they dismiss it outright in the book saying how lame it was. That storyline was needless just to kill some time. Well, that's part of also how I feel about the original Twin Peaks is it's almost a parody of soap opera. Oh, no, it totally is. It's initially a parody of soap opera and it's an actual horror show and it's a police procedural. But you know, John, the show wasn't intended to have any kind of thing wrapped up. Oh, no, I knew that they were not supposed to ever reveal Laura Palmer's killer, and that was studio interference. Mm -hmm. I remember when Showtime was going to condense it to, I think it was nine episodes. I agree with Showtime. The content in here is nine episodes long. No, 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 no. I'm I'm interested in seeing a shorter version of this. I don't think, quote-unquote, studio intervention is the worst 
thing. Although, yes, I do kind of wish in the original series that, that the Laura Palmer thing was never resolved. But then again, I went into it knowing who killed her. So, right. yeah, so if I went in not knowing that, you might, I would kind of be pissed you, off. You might feel differently. <laughs> yes. So you have characters pop up that are useful. You have characters that show up, like Matthew Lillard. He's accused of murdering a woman who's only her head's found, but he has no idea what's going on. There's a little bit of family drama there, but Booper shows up and ends up murdering his wife, which, yeah. which is odd and interesting and still leads some questions, but we don't even need them answered. Booper, I found very interesting because I loved his shark eyes, almost emotionless feeling towards everything. There was yeah. one thing I felt, I don't know if it's my favorite or second favorite scene, depending on how I feel about that Bobby, Shelley, Becky scene, that arm wrestling scene. Ah, you I do think like it's that. out of character because everything prior to this, Booper does not mess around. He is not a playful character. Mm -hmm. And he's playing with this guy he's arm wrestling with. Yeah, he's being playful and it's funny. Yeah, it's a... But it's you're a, right, it seems out of his character yeah, as we've been it, presented It's with amazing. Him. It's a great scene. It doesn't seem out of character for Bob because Bob always seems like he's laughing maniacally and <laughs> screwing around in That's, all of the scenes with Bob being a menace. So here that, it yeah. seems like Bob and Cooper, he has some of Cooper's way. It's Cooper's influence over Bob inhabiting him is that he's just like stoic. He also does look in the mirror and says, I'm good, you're here, you know? When his face turns into Bob's face a little bit. Yeah, it's like the only scene in the entire thing where that where that really happens. And as I feel, I feel it's out of character as he's being portrayed, but God, is it great! It hurt my arm when you moved it down here. But it really hurt when you had it down here. See? Doesn't that hurt your arm when I go like that? I think it's much worse when it's down here. Right. It's still a bit stoic, though, but he's obviously having fun. Yeah. Now, other characters that come in and that seem to only be useful tools, like Freddy Fist and the Mitchum Brothers. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Mitchum Brothers, Albie. Yay. What do you think? Surprisingly, I really loved them. Like, I, I said, not surprisingly, like, oh, wow, Elby loved them. Why would she, you know, based on my character or whatever? But no, surprisingly, meaning, like, I did not expect that they would be the way they are. Well, Jim Belushi, right? Yeah, I, I always thought Jim Belushi was kind of a creep, but I don't know. This performance kind of turned me around on him a little bit, so... This performance is probably his best performance ever. He's done two performances that I really like. One's in a movie called Retroactive with Frank Wally. It's a science fiction time travel flick. And he's a maniac in that. So he plays up that whole chewing up the scene. And here, he does it so right here. And he has very good responses to things. His facial expressions. His Sometimes he's the surrogate for the audience of like, what is going on? <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's necessary. The show doesn't totally always have an audience surrogate all the time. Which may be to its detriment a little bit. If you don't have an audience surrogate who is also questioning what's going on, which is what everybody's problem is with the Dougie thing. Everybody has the assumption that they should just help Dougie. Which actually may be a magical property of Cooper being Dougie. It might just be this sort of aura thing that emanates where people just go, oh, I should help him. Seemingly without reason. <laughs> Maybe. But okay. Maybe. That's been my entire... Every time I texted you while watching this, it's like... And Dougie was on screen like, someone needs to help Dougie. He's not right in the head. Why isn't anyone helping him? But they are, but they're just not helping medically. They're not addressing. They're just like pulling him and giving him coffee. And He gets taken yeah. to a doctor, but not anyone who gives him an MRI or anything. It's just, right. he gets a physical and that's it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Do you think the Dougie stuff's too long, LB? Oh, 
yes and no. I, at first, I was totally cool with it. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I'm just going to run with this. I'm going to see where it goes, see where it takes me. And, you know, as the episodes go along, I'm getting more and more, okay, where is this going? You know, at the time, people were really, really frustrated because they just wanted Cooper back, right? So yeah. every episode that didn't have some sort of hint that Cooper was coming back soon was, like, really annoying to everyone in the world right but i was trying to fight against that and just be like really yes i'm just gonna go with this flow and it's gonna be fine eventually something will happen and you're right eventually something yeah did. but yeah like, i like i totally some... admit that it took a little too long it really did like there was a point where i was like i don't know how much more i can just let this go because dougie's really annoying it's really frustrating the like the hand holding and when he starts figuring out that, that whole sequence where he is finding out tom sizemore's character is is committing fraud and he's doing the the drawing of the the, the ladders yeah. and the stairs or whatever it is yeah the, <laughs> like that that was super frustrating to me because i wanted to know what his code was like how did he reach that conclusion at that point i was like why is cooper not here already well is yeah. it just is it just me or does that sex scene between janie and dougie kind of feel like sexual assault because Dougie is not really conscious of what's going on. It's just all of a sudden he's now having sex and he's happy. We see a smile on his face. <laughs> but it kind of feels like she's taking advantage. Of, I'm sorry to say it in this way, but it feels like she's taking advantage of a child. You know, uh, maybe, uh. but she, she doesn't know that. Like she doesn't. Oh, she, she doesn't really know that. I mean, I mean, yeah, okay, she knows something's wrong with him. Obviously. Well, let me let me ask let me ask you this, LB. Uh -huh. If Andrew had a stroke and started acting like Dougie, would you notice? Because, <laughs> well, because I'm sorry, but the hooker before uh -huh. thinks that he had a stroke, notices a change in him, yeah, and his wife never seems to. There's a problem there. Either a those two are never around each other, uh -huh. and Dougie is spending far more time with that hooker than uh, than he is his wife, Maybe. or b she is completely oblivious to anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of it, is that we don't really know what Dougie is really like. We know that he gambles, we know that he, you know, cheats on his wife, He, we know he hires hookers. Like, we, we know all these, like, vices that he has. He's not a good dude, and he's probably pretty dumb to get himself into these situations. But even though we don't know exactly what he is really, really like, or, like, how he interacts with people, because, you know, we're not shown that. Like, the, the only glimpse we have of the real Dougie is you know right after he's he's finished with the prostitute you know like like we're we're with the real Dougie for maybe 5 minutes you know so yeah. not not even that because it's whatever he was before and everything else is this post stroke cooper yeah i do feel it goes too long because we don't have context for the character prior to this and i i'm sorry yes it, I, I keep harping on it someone needed to really seriously address this you know it's like i feel should, i'm chalking should it up be to going magic. to work <laughs> should magic be theory work. dude i'm chalking it up to magic because the show does have magic in it mm -hmm. the whole black lodge thing and reaching into the black lodge and the white lodge and all of that has to do with indian magic though it's not explicit in the show i believe then that there's something emanating from this Cooper Ducky mix 
that compels people to not question and just care for him until it's time for him to actually become Cooper. The whole Dougie thing is really frustrating. I think it all should have been truncated. The interaction with the Mitchum brothers is great, and I don't think that those scenes went on for too long, but a lot of the Dougie stuff is kind of the show floundering. Yeah. Padding time. Of all the awkward things that we've talked about where it's like a, a test of patience, the one that I think truly works is they take Dougie home, and he's just sitting there and you got the limo driver. And this is my other problem where you're talking about audience surrogates. Yeah. All these things that happen happen in what I would think of as the real world. I always kind of thought of Twin Peaks as being this kind of little microcosm of weirdness. And yet you would have, and maybe anyone who deals with like Blue Rose cases maybe are affected by this weirdness so you have a little bit of quirkiness to them. But anyone who exists in the real world would be like a real human being. Yeah, the real kind of responses to mm-hmm. things, yeah. And the limo driver was one of the few characters I felt actually dealing with how weird things are going. Mm-hmm. In the yeah. most genuine way, because he's so awkwardly waiting for Dougie to go to his house. He's just like... Well, you got that with Matthew Lillard as well. Matthew Lillard is a realistic type character. This bad stuff happens to him that he has no idea how to handle. But and it's... He acknowledges that and he yeah. breaks down in some of the most beautiful breakdown acting I've ever seen. But like the Las Vegas Metro PD, the characters there are way too quirky and they are. annoying. Apparently they're all brothers. I picked yeah. that up upon second viewing. I didn't realize, not even the second. And I find the big guy from Green Room to be the one that's most put on. And I'm not trying to dig at his acting. It's just anytime he laughs, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, it's just annoying more than anything else. I hated every single time I got stuck having to go into Metro. <laughs> yeah, that the guys laugh. I don't. Well, that, I don't, that's the thing I that, that David Lynch does is he typically has cops who are kind of bumbling idiots. Like I, I think that maybe he has a commentary against policemen that. It's kind of a theme throughout his his movies and and whatnot. Uh, again, in Lost Hi- in Highway, it's there too. In Lost Highway, they, I don't think they were bumbling. I think they were just unhelpful. Uh, yeah, unobliging. They're not as like TV presents idiot cops. Well, yeah, okay. So TV presents idiot cops as donut eating like the Simpsons idiot cop, you know? I don't know. They kind of felt Simpson-y to me. Yeah, these three are morons, whereas everyone else seems to be competent at their job. So then you have the FBI actually getting in on this stuff, and you have Albert and Gordon, and they bring with them... Tammy Preston. What took me out of the show a lot was Christabel's performance as Agent Tammy Preston. I'm not going to try to dig on Christabel, because I I think she's a talented person. I like her songs i mean i like her i like her i really do okay but you know before we watched the series we listened to the audiobook of the secret history of twin peaks and it's important to note this is the audiobook okay because the woman who was performing tammy preston's parts in this book because it's going through another dossier the archivist yeah and her making notes about it and discovering things yeah. about Twin Peaks. Well, the woman who they had perform her parts, I think, did a really great job and did as expected. It's sort of a uh, Scully way. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to compare too much, but oh come on, you can't I, not I, compare I FBI's. I, I will. I will one hundred percent agree with that. X Files. She definitely kind of comes off Scully-ish uh-huh. in the yeah. in that book. I don't know what happened to either Major Briggs or Agent Cooper at this point. 
I've taken my analysis as far as I can. Special Agent Tamara Preston. Hearing that performance to Krista Bell in The Return was a huge disappointment. And I think Krista Bell, I don't think she has the best acting chops. I don't really know. She mugs a lot and she yeah. doesn't know how to control the face. Like, I don't think that she's really comfortable being on camera yet. I mean, performing her concerts or whatever, I'm sure she's fine and she's great. But, you know, I, I just don't think she's comfortable with the camera. And her movements and stuff is just sort of alien-esque like it's really uh well lb david lynch called her one of the most beautiful aliens he've e- he's okay. ever seen something like that when he first met her uh-huh. he was like she's a beautiful alien mm-hmm. so i spent this series like really thinking that tammy preston was miscast and that sort of disappointed me but you know also she plays it really not like sexy on purpose but she, she's a sexy lady but her her movements she's like a gazelle like and she does that you know swinging the hips thing as she's walking and stuff and i'm just like i don't i mean i don't want to make assumptions about fbi agents or women in the fbi but i think she's a little bit too sexy to be an fbi agent you have to walk like a man lb to be an fbi agent <laughs> i mean i guess <laughs> I guess. You have to be but... bow-legged. You have to walk like a cowboy. You have to walk... I don't know. You have to walk like Denise. Yeah, I don't know. It just... It really bothered me a lot. And I, I tried to get used to it and just go with it. So my reaction might be different if I had not heard that audiobook. I think it would be different because you told me that you imagined her to be more like the Air Force liaison yeah. that's in the show yeah, yeah, yeah. than Krista Bell, the Air Force liaison who gets the information that it's Major Briggs' body from the coroner. By the way, the coroner is awesome. Oh yeah, Jane Adams Is awesome. She's always awesome and I'm really happy that she's in this show and I'm really happy that she and Albert hit it off and it's such a good scene where they're just chatting and it's brief and then Gordon and Tammy are peeking in on them at the restaurant and they're just like, check this out. That's cute. That's like a miniature version of the Ed and Norma thing. Yeah. Kind of. Like a ripple towards it. I like her. And I like how she's like being funny as the coroner and mm-hmm. everybody's just all like, and she's like, I'm still doing stand-up. <laughs> like, she's one of the, the bright spots on the show. And I like the liaison as well, but I think you're kind of right that the liaison needed to be cast as Tammy Preston. Not to just miss Christabel because Christabel she's got some sort of chops somewhere but I think being one of David Lynch's closest friends there's a bit of not nepotism but you know what I mean throwing her a bone I was going to say bone throwing. Yeah. Hey, we're on the same page. So Diane eventually shows up. They find Diane, who ends up being a tulpa of Diane. And more of this doppelganger weirdness. First off, what do you think of Diane when you first meet her? I was happy with her, actually. You know, just kind of the, I'm done with this. Why are you bothering me? Go away. Sort of antagonistic towards the entire process. You know, it's 25 years out, and she's now kind of being dragged into all this madness, and it's like, oh no, I don't want to deal with Cooper anymore. Don't make me have to talk to this person who you think is Cooper. And then, of course, we find out that she's not actually Diane. Right. So there's a a gripe on the internet that she was appropriating Asian style too much. That she was whitewashing or whatever it was. Because she has a kind of haircut that people associate with Asian people. She has a robe and a tea set or something that's like Asian. She has Asian motif in her apartment. And then it's revealed that Naido, the 
Asian woman who breaks open and becomes the actual Diane in the final episode. Mm -hmm. That's Diane. So do you think that was like a hint that Nido was actually Diane just by Diane's tastes? It could have been a subconscious thing. You know, I I attributed it to she has a sort of mid-century style. And there is a subcategory, I don't know, of mid-century that was, you know, at the time they called it Oriental. Yeah, Polynesian so, and Oriental. You know, it, and it's post-World War II, yeah, so it was, it's, it's influenced it was from like soldiers a, coming back from World War II and the Pacific. Yeah, and, yeah. Right, it's, it's a, um, a, a continental thing. So, like, I, I don't know, I, I didn't get any sort of cultural appropriation from that. But, yeah, it could be subconsciously leading, not a hint, but... Like just leading you towards that conclusion that she's going to be uh, Nido. So her style is spot on, though. I love her style. <laughs> Diane's ama- amazing looking. Yeah. So uh, she comes along and she's really antagonistic, and apparently she also had been raped or something by Booper, mm-hmm. and that's what gave her the negative opinion she has about everything. However, she's also a tulpa. Like, she's obviously a tulpa after they shoot her. She, like, deflates and turns into a little balloon. Not really. It just, she just whips off into nothingness like a little (laughs) balloon would fly across the room after being let go. David Lynch is so confusing. You know, there's a part that I think is abandoned, and it's that Diane is Janie E's sister. Yeah. Yeah. We don't go back to that. How, give me more of that connection. Yeah, part of me goes, I'm glad that there's some sort of connection between these two characters so that there's a reason why 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 all this weird tangential stuff exists in this world but at the same time like i don't care <laughs> yeah okay I look don't, you I, abandon it but it, it doesn't need to be picked up though i don't i don't i don't know i don't really it, it mind makes me questions think about... when it comes to dave lynch because that helps me if i watch it again i maybe i'll come to a conclusion about it next time maybe i won't so the, our showdown at the episode before the final episode has to do with a cockney lad named freddie who goes to twin peaks this, i have to be honest this made me mad why did it make you mad <laughs> he shows okay. up early on in the season at the roadhouse it boils down to it and this is the same problem i had with lost the last episode of lost where it's spiritual it's philosophical here's all these you know things and it boils down to a fist fight okay <laughs> come on all he's gonna do is he punches bob a bunch of times and then bob dies at the end <laughs> oh like... come on but what are you gonna do that when you have a magic powered glove hand with a gardening that, glove? i thought that was what i thought that was incredibly stupid <laughs> well not included <laughs> Because he shows up. He shows up so far into the end of the show that it's... I'm sorry. You know, there's there are certain things in screenwriting that you don't do and you don't introduce an important character in the last third of your uh, no. story. Okay, so he shows up with, without speaking too many lines. He shows up at the roadhouse early. And then... Yeah, well, we get the discussion of, oh, yeah, I got a magic glove one day. There. <laughs> that's that's literally the... And then the jail scene. So he's introduced at the beginning of a third act, I suppose, if you're going to go by the three-act structure. It's not the worst time to introduce that. I don't go by all the rules of you save the cat and everything. You can be unconventional. I don't think it was too late to be introduced. And it turns into, oh yeah, we're just going to punch Bob to death. And again, I I said they're like, roll my eyes, where it's like, really? That's the solution to everything is we're going to punch Bob to death instead of 
finding something more interesting to do than Sphere Bob punches him in the face, he punches what, Bob back. An intellectual discourse? <laughs> I don't know. Something different than... <laughs> than that. We had a better ending. I, I think which, which was Lynch the isn't which very was, good at action direction. That too. I thought we had a better ending where we have Cooper go back in time and he changes the destiny of Laura Palmer. Well, you have two endings for two types of audience members. <laughs> you have part one ending, which was for the people who want the hero's ending, the heroic ending, the fight. That Yeah, but it's not even Cooper reclaiming himself. It's this other guy who we don't have any attachment to who has the Hulk fist. Oh, why don't you have an attachment to him? You spent enough time with him and learning his story. Why Why isn't that enough? Because he should have been in episode, well, maybe not episode one, but he should have been around long enough and we should have, I should have actually liked the guy. Why didn't you I like don't. the he, guy? He showed himself to because be a he, positive character. He saved uh, Andy from being murdered. Like, why don't you like yes, him? Yes, at the end of, at the end of everything. Why don't you like him? He's a deus ex machina character. Ah! Almost literally, literally, <laughs> he's a deus ex machina character. He does not exist other than I was given a green fist that one day I will punch something. <laughs> I don't I have mean, a problem the... with you putting it like that. That's fine. I don't have a problem with it. It is a horrible character. I don't think it's horrible have... character. Come on. It's lazy. Come on. No, no, no. Deus Ex Machina exists for a reason. It's problem solving. Yeah, because you couldn't. And it's easy problem yeah, solving. Yeah, got out of the machine. It's it's if for it's such lazy a difficult show. <laughs> I think this show also was allowed some easy moments. And I don't have a problem <laughs> with this easy moment. Plus, I like that this kid who is just a YouTube guy who does accents, that he got picked for this show, a Brit. The show isn't British. The show isn't shot in Europe, except for the weird dream sequence with Monica Bellucci, which lends to this entire thing being, is it all a dream? Because we are living inside of a dream in Firewalk With Me. But yeah, he punches it to death and we get that resolution to it. Yeah, so resolution one is the conventional hero's resolution. Resolution two, you like a lot more, I guess. But this has the... I do up until the point where they actually kind of enter this alternate world thing. Okay, so inside the alternate world, there's a weird hum in the Great Northern, my favorite fictional hotel, where that's the only real reason why you have the scenes with Ben Horn, is that he's trying to figure out what this weird hum is. And then James hears it too, and then that leads us to the final thing at the end where they all go to the Great Northern and hear this hum and they go to that old whatever room use the key whatever only he and Diane go through the real Diane who just broke out of Nido's body and she has mm -hmm. bright red hair do you recall in the secret history of Twin Peaks the bit about Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard out in the desert of New Mexico and a bright red hair woman and some sex magic I do right I've listened to it I don't remember that <laughs> I remember the sex magic, but... Jack Parsons is a rocket scientist who was also into, like, Alistair Crowley type, maybe Satanism stuff. And it's all about magic. It's all about uh, chaos magic and willful, like, whatever. Yeah, I don't know too much about it. But in the book, it's dropped there by Mark as a sort of a seed for what's to come in the show, in the final episode. When mm -hmm. just before the identity switch, when they're in an alternate, first alternate world, they go to the this one motel. And now what do we do? Well, we bone. Do they passionately make love, LB? Um, I think it... Or is it I, mechanical? I Maybe in between. Like, I wouldn't call it mechanical. Like, there's some emotion to it. But it mostly from, you know, Diane's part is Cooper 
seems really not into anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing my job. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I I don't know, I mean. What I'm getting at, it seems what they're doing is a rite of sex magic. Yeah. Which results in, after he wakes, they've switched identities. Again! Mm. Now, this is a big theme that comes up in Twin Peaks, obviously. All of the Twin Peaks stuff about switching identities. Uh And Lost Highway. Uh And Mulholland Drive. And, probably, I do believe also Inland Empire, but I could only make it through once, and I couldn't understand I don't remember anything about Inland Empire, and I kind of want to revisit it except that i hated it when i watched it so i'm not excited about it but right. I, I feel i, I feel understand. like i should so it's a theme that he likes and i actually don't have a problem with uh, artists coming back to themes yeah you know the, the more you see it the, the more it starts to make sense it, it, when it happened in twin peaks the return i was like Oh, okay. I think I'm starting to really understand what Lynch is doing in all these other movies too, like Mulholland Drive and and Lost Highway. Like it just really starts to make a little bit more sense. Like it's still like I don't I don't think it's possible to know fully what David Lynch is doing ever. Like I don't even know if David Lynch knows what he's doing. Like a hundred percent. He does, but he doesn't. He does a lot of stuff with dream logic. Yeah. Which is why talking about this is so difficult. Right. Hey, John. Yeah. Dream logic. That's your problem. Yeah. It's well. No, I. I don't want to say my problems with dream logic. I think my problem is we're presented a lot of stuff that I just feel is completely pointless. No, but that's dreams. I was trying to recount a dream that I had about saying some stupid pun to Elby, and I, it was like super difficult. And by the time that I actually got out what I needed to say, I realized to just recounting the dream this morning that what was meaningful was not meaningful at all and that it was just dumb like it was needless and stupid even in my dream but in a movie that can work in a 18 episode 18 hour long television program it basically says f you to the audience at the end of it Ah, that's the part of the joke! Yeah, but I don't want to be part of the joke. I want to be part of something that has some interesting substance to it, and then I go, oh my god, I want you to make more, not... Oh my god, you just said F you to me. F you, I don't want to watch anymore. (laughs) Nostalgia versus expectations Mm -hmm. and the usurping of the expectations. You get some met, and then you get them taken away. Mm -hmm. Now, by the end of this, he finds... A version of Laura Palmer. She's now grown up a bit more. And he tries to take her back to Twin Peaks, where she came from, in this alternate world. Mm-hmm. After having saved her in the original timeline. Well, and here's... From being this murdered. This is my problem with it. It's not so much that he finds Laura Palmer. It's that this person doesn't know that she is Laura Palmer, even though she was apparently saved 18 years ago. She's now someone completely different. And it kind of becomes no wait huh no and then it you know you end on a cliffhanger i'll be honest i wanted it could be an open ending but an ending i'm done Ah. with laura palmer at this point he saved her he he did Hmm. literally went and did what he set out to do he saved laura palmer so he saved her but he didn't save her because she was taken away from him as he was saving her yeah that's true she was pulled away but she's not a child. She's not an infant who wouldn't know that she was born a person. You know, she was pretty much but an whatever adult. whatever the magic is. <laughs> so let's just say, just say mother. Mother took 18-year-old Laura Palmer, 17-year-old Laura mm-hmm. Palmer, away mm-hmm. to wherever. So it's uh, in Texas somewhere. Mm-hmm. And Odessa, mm-hmm. Texas. 
and she's magically brainwashed. I don't know. I mean, it can happen. See, this becomes a reaching game. It's like, no, end it, but leave it open because we have the Blue Rose cases. That, you know, turn, you know, Twin Peaks Fine is now a brand, not necessarily a town. But it's like, it'd be, make it, I don't want to say, make it X-Filesy, but essentially be more. Right, yeah, I get what like, you're saying. I get Blue what Rose cases it. and stuff. I think there's still part of Laura Palmer in her, though. Like, uh, that's... Well, definitely, it's it's obvious at the end of the show. The very end. Yeah, I mean, she's maybe trapped in this this other woman. You you know, okay, so it's reminiscent of Lost Highway, where, you know, um, Fred, Bill Pullman's character, goes to jail, and then one night, for some reason, he turns into Pete, who's Balthazar Getty's character. And there's no explanation. But there are little clues that make you think maybe there is part of... Fred stuck inside Pete and it opens up all these questions of like what is this reality yeah, like what is this reality like what is, what is the evil force in this reality and you know in, in Lost Highway it's it's Robert Blake as the mystery man but and in Twin Peaks it's mother but like I think there's still part of Laura that needs to be saved like she's just put into this other woman who you know I mean happens to look exactly like her but it's it's just a different version of Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive you know it's I, I don't know I mean the story could go forever honestly I, and I'd be fine with it but where you are correct is that there is a bit of Laura Palmer in this non-Laura Palmer in that when they go to the house and they find that it's not the Palmer residence anymore or at all ever uh-huh. whatever they're standing out there and he goes wait what year is this and then you hear Sarah Palmer mm-hmm scream the name Laura from inside the house and Laura, the non-Laura Laura she screams bloody murder cut to black, that's the end of the series so I think that implies what you're talking about and I think where we can go from that is finding out more about what is that frog bug (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you know if indeed that is Sarah Palmer who uh, was a little girl in episode 8 now the final dossier very much yeah it implies it it, but it's not saying for sure but you know we we can assume that that is Sarah Palmer so like where we go from there is like even another huge thing that, that is waiting to be opened up about the I don't know I mean I guess it's some sort of demon or something it seems you know I, I don't know man but um, <laughs> I find it interesting still it would just made me happy if that was the end of this tale we should be allowed to move on uh, from her story so I think consensus is that the show is weird and flawed Dougie is a cooper trap I think that's what we have to contribute yep <laughs> I love the show. I've been with it since the very beginning, but I didn't complete it until 2001, I do believe, on AVI files. My friend Nick downloaded them, and we finally got to finish it because I only missed the last two episodes because I got in a car accident back in 94, and I forgot to set my VCR <laughs> because I had a concussion. So, But I've been with it since the very beginning. I've stuck around. The first time I watched firewalk with me i didn't like it but i didn't not like it it just was a dark thing and then i revisited it time and time again and i just really really dig it especially the missing pieces version which is a fan edit but it's still brilliant and it's super long but awesome this new season it's better than the second season loads better Ah. it is more compelling it broke tv for me i'm really happy that they didn't even mention wyndham earl 
<laughs> so happy. Uh, but the books do, and the books are actually good companion pieces to this. They're important for the whole thing. It's not just some unofficial Twin Peaks merchandise sort of books that some people do. This is actual stuff that is compelling. Yes and works with the series. The final dossier definitely adds a lot of context. I'm just mad that they basically put a lot of context behind a paywall. Nah, I I find it good this way because uh, uh, Mark Frost is a writer as well, and he writes books. This is a very cool exercise in how it's presented as dossier. If you have it in your hand, you'll understand. You've only heard the audio, but it's beautifully done. It's interestingly written. And I don't think that everything needs to be uh, explained in the show. Yeah, I think that would be too much ex- expository, uh, honestly. And it would be even... like I feel like it... Leading people by the yeah, hand. I don't like that. They would be treating us like Dougie. <laughs> uh, maybe we need to be treated like Dougie every now and then. <laughs> Get some help. Uh, okay, so you agree with me about Freddy then? No, Freddy needs... Thank you. Freddy needs to uh, not be Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> But that's leading us by the hand. The green hand. Anyway, thank you guys for being here. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Elby. I value both of your opinions, but John, you're wrong about most of them. (laughs) I knew I was going to be the odd man out. I knew it. (laughs) But they're valuable wrongs. Okay, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. On that note, I bid you all adieu. Say goodbye, folks. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye-bye. Booper, booper, booper.